and welcome to another episode of Policy Pod. In this episode, we'll be speaking to Dr. Chrissy Jones around all things CMV. So, firstly, Chrissy, what's CMV? So, CMV is a bit of a mouthful. It stands for cytomegalovirus, and we shorten it often to CMV. It's a very common virus, which many of us will catch at some point in our life. Um, so, Chrissy, we'll start with a traditional question. What did you do for your A-levels? So, I did French biology and chemistry. So I did slightly non-traditional subjects um, because I wanted to make sure I had a a rounded set of A-levels coming into medicine. Very sensible. So where did you go to do your undergraduate studies? So I went from A-levels up to University of Nottingham and did my undergraduate studies there for five years. Um, I did some initial jobs there and then I came down to London for my SHO and registrar training, so my specialist training in paediatrics. And where were you practicing in London? So I went all over the place, as we're generally sent. So um, I spent some time at Kingston. Um, I went to St. Mary's, Imperial, Guys and St. Thomas's, around the place. Mm-hmm. And then I decided, like my A-levels were non-traditional, I want to do slightly non-traditional things. I ended up going to South Africa um, and worked in Cape Town for three years, doing my PhD with Imperial College um, out in um, Cape Town in South Africa. Excellent stuff. And what was your PhD about? So I was looking at how maternal HIV and TB infection affected the infant's immune responses. So looking at how these babies responded to the BCG, which is the vaccine given to protect babies against disseminated forms of tuberculosis, and found that these babies who were born to mothers with HIV had very low levels of protection to many different um, antibodies at birth. But once they had their vaccines, so BCG and the other primary vaccines, they actually responded very nicely. And actually, that's really changed the course of my career. Um, I haven't, I'm not doing HIV and TB anymore, but that finding of babies being vulnerable um, in the early stages of life led me to think, what can I do about this? And that led me on to my current research, which is looking at um, vaccines in pregnancy. Excellent stuff. So we know that vaccines for uh, vaccine trials including pregnant women, uh, are, are really minimal. Um, I wonder if we could start with a bit of an understanding about the, the work that you're doing currently and then provide some, some context around uh, uh, how much research is happening in this space. Yes, I'm really passionate about trying to offer research to as many people as possible, particularly in the pregnancy space. And I think you're right. Traditionally, pregnant women have been excluded from research. And it's really important that we make sure that women have the opportunity to benefit from research, um, both in terms of interventional trials like a vaccine in pregnancy, um, and also the project which I'm doing now, which is looking at educational strategies in pregnancy to prevent infections. Really important that women have this opportunity to think about research and to benefit from it and also contribute to those benefits to the community and society as a whole as well. So let's um, let's drill down a little bit. What's the, what's the title of the current project and what is it that you're looking to, uh, to achieve? So this current project is looking at a virus called CMV, which is short for cytomegalovirus. It's a virus that most people have never heard of, but in fact is a very common virus. So many of us will have had this virus when we're a toddler. Um, and when pe- women come into pregnancy, around 60% of women have had CMV before. But if you catch CMV for the first time when you're pregnant, that virus can be um, passed from the mother through the placenta to the baby and cause congenital infection in the baby. So an infection before the baby's born, and that can affect um, the baby in multiple different ways, both their hearing, so this is one of the most common causes of sensory neural hearing loss in children, 
and also a common cause of developmental problems as well. So what this project is all around about is trying to reduce the risk of women catching CMV while they're pregnant, therefore reducing the risk of babies being damaged from congenital cytomegalovirus infection. So we've been doing um, work over several years to develop um, an educational intervention, so a short film, um, which educates women about CMV, about ways that they can reduce their risk of catching it during pregnancy um, to hopefully not catch the virus and not pass this on to the baby. And this current piece of work we've been doing is looking at the policy implications of that. So this would be introducing something into the NHS that we want to make sure works. We want to make sure it's acceptable and feasible. And we also want to engage with key stakeholders to make sure we're, we're doing the right thing, essentially. Um, so this project has been called CMB Gap, deliberately trying to plug the gap um, about knowledge that we perhaps have as healthcare professionals and knowledge that's passed on to the pregnant women and making sure we're plugging that gap with the information needs of these women. So we'll be sure to include a uh, link to the video so that uh, listeners can, can tune into that. Um, perhaps you could uh, talk through some of the uh, the, the key messages for, um, uh, for, for mothers uh, yeah. during pregnancy. Yeah. So I think what's really important is women do their best. So we're not asking them to do everything perfectly all the time, but there are three key messages which help reduce the risk of catching CMV during pregnancy. So the first message is be the first to share. So if you're eating and drinking food that has been shared with somebody else, for instance, a young child, make sure you taste the food first and not taste food and drink that's been tasted by other people. So be the first to share. The second message is forehead kisses and cuddles. So you're more likely to catch CMV if you're in direct contact with saliva of a young child or, or somebody else. So instead of kissing a young child on the lips, try to kiss them on the forehead instead and show affection using cuddles and things as well. And the third message is wash with care. So once you've touched something which is contaminated with urine or saliva, make sure you're washing your hands well after that. So after changing a nappy, after um, washing cutlery and cups and things that children might have used already, make sure to wash your hands after that. So in terms of the engagement that you've um, had with stakeholders and thinking particularly around uh, healthcare practitioners, what are the um, the, uh, the challenges and the opportunities that should have been thrown up from those conversations which have informed the, the research? So I think there's been a number of different views. One is, well, women already have access to this information, therefore why do we need to do anything else? So although we don't routinely tell women about cytomegalovirus or CMV during pregnancy, if you go looking for that information, you can find it on the NHS website. Um, so messages such as I've just said will be available to women if they go looking. The problem is if you've never heard of a virus, you don't go typing it into Google to try to find the answer. So what we really want to do is to make sure that we're... Um, giving that message to women in ways that they can easily find, so pushing that message out. Um, there are a number of concerns from um, people such as midwives that we might raise anxiety amongst pregnant women. So women have loads of things they have to think about already when they're pregnant. They're told to do this, they're told not to do that. And so we're not wanting to add to the burden of um women that they feel already not wanting to add to their anxiety. And I think particularly amongst midwives, they felt if we tell them about a virus which might potentially damage their baby, this will cause them to be anxious and worried. So we've really taken this on board. We've done quite a lot of work trying to look at this. Um, and the women who have been part of our research studies to date, we've asked them very specifically about this. And in fact, they feel the reverse. They feel if they're given information in an accessible way, which tells them what they can do to reduce their risk, actually it doesn't raise their anxiety. It makes them feel more in control and more empowered to reduce their risk of catching an infection. 
I think the the other thing is how to get this information out effectively to women. So we've been doing lots of work with not just um, midwives and obstetricians, but also with providers of education to pregnant women through digital means. So through apps and websites, etc. as well. So trying to work out how best to get this message through to women so that it's accessible and easy to find for them. So I think that's it, that's really interesting that that people feel um, empowered by having this access to uh, uh, to more information from from those conversations that you've had with um, uh, with mothers. What are the other reflections that they have um, uh, about finding more information about this topic? So it's a bit of a range, but in general, women have felt either let down or frankly angry that they haven't been told about CMV. I think we see that particularly for families who have been affected by CMV. They have this sense that if only somebody had told me about this, there was something I could have done, I could have prevented my child of having this infection and these long-term problems going forwards. So I think for those families, they feel let down. For women who aren't affected by CMV, but feel after they've heard about CMV, this is something important, they feel a bit angry that they should be told about this. Why is this information not being given so that they can go on and and make some changes, fairly small change to their behaviour, but these can make a big difference in terms of a baby catching CMV or not catching CMV. So I think it's important that we give this information to women to allow them to make their own decisions about do they want to make these changes or not, but at least we are giving them that choice. But if we don't tell them about CMV, we're not giving them the choice to make those changes. It's really interesting that you've got those two different stakeholders offering slightly different understandings of the uh, of the challenge, and as as a researcher, being able to um, yeah, thread a path between those two uh, uh, perspectives. I think that's why it's really really important that we do look at multiple different stakeholders when we're thinking about introducing something new, a new concept, a new intervention, or in this case, a new piece of education. That we ask lots of different people what their views are, so that we can understand where people are coming from. From. And I think the woman's voice is often neglected in this. So really important, we spent a lot of time talking to pregnant women and families affected by CMV, not only to find how the best me- ways to get these messages to them, but what's acceptable, what kind of tone works well that doesn't raise anxiety and makes them feel equipped and empowered to, to make changes. And these are small changes rather than major changes in their behaviours. So how big is this challenge? Is, is that is that hard to measure? How do, how do we know how many uh, children are affected? So in the UK, we don't screen for congenital cytomegalovirus. So it's very difficult to have an accurate idea of how many babies have CMV infection. And the only way that we would often pick these up is if they fail their newborn hearing tests. So we find they've got sensory neural hearing loss early, or they may have some symptoms or signs of CMV when they're born. So the proportion of babies who have CMV who develop those signs and symptoms is probably up to 25%. So we're probably missing quite a large number. But our estimates are that two or three babies are born in the UK every day who are affected by CMV. Well, that gives us part of the picture about what the the effects is for for the country on on mass. What about the effects for for the individuals and for the families? So we've done some work looking at um, health-related quality of life of families who have a baby with CMV and shown that there is a significant impact not only on the child's quality of life, but actually on the quality of life of the parents as well. So looking after a child with even unilateral sensory neural hearing loss does have an impact on the family. And you can imagine the more severe the impact of CMV on the child, for instance, if they have developmental needs and hearing loss, that really does have quite a significant impact on the quality of life of the child and the family as a whole. 
And not only is it having an impact on the child and that individual family, but it has an impact on the NHS as well. So some of our work looking at the health economics of CMV has shown that it costs over £700 million each year to have children diagnosed and treated with congenital CMV. When you talk of, uh, of quality of life, how are you, how, how are you measuring that? So to measure this, we um, sent out questionnaires, quite a large number of questionnaires to parents, depending on the age of the child. We asked them to report um, against different questions, but we also asked where appropriate for the child to self-report as well. And that wasn't appropriate for every child because of the age and um, developmental needs. But the parents would report against different measures of quality of life. So it's not so much that we're putting our judgment on quality of life onto that parent or onto that family, but rather asking them their assessment of the quality of life. So uh, thinking of the other um, uh, category of stakeholder, the, the policy audience, what, what is it that you're looking for um, in terms of changes from, from a policy perspective? So we had this roundtable meeting where we, where we got together stakeholders and key policymakers. One of those challenges we talked about was this feeling that we already give that information or it's not an important thing. Um, but actually engaging with um, particularly the Royal Colleges of Obstetricians, Gynecologists and the Royal College of Midwives, I think there was a clear sense that actually once people know about this, they feel it's really important that we should be giving this message across. And what we really want to know from them is, do we need to test this intervention more to show that it really affects um, the number of women who catch CMV during pregnancy, or is the information we've got already enough? And is this self-evident this will work? We've had a real, really key um, message from them, which is we don't need to do further massive randomised controlled trials to show what we really already know that this is um, important to do and this is effective, but rather we should move to implementation to work out the best way of getting these messages across. So previous work we've done has shown that it changes both knowledge about CMV, attitudes towards um, CMV and personal susceptibility, and also can change behaviours. So women, once they're given this information, do make small adaptions to their behaviours um, throughout pregnancy to reduce their risk. So a bit like we don't have to prove that washing hands prevents you from getting infection. We know that already. The same with this package, it's felt that we should just go ahead basically and work with local trust to work out the best way of implementing these messages as part of routine care. We know that healthcare visitors in particular are under an enormous amount of strain in terms of their uh, total labour force and the uh, obligations uh, upon them and the caseload that uh, they're working on. So how, how challenging is it for them and what mitigations perhaps are in place to be able to support them to, to have these conversations or support, to point people in, uh, uh, in the direction of these resources? I think that's really, really important that um, at an antenatal care visit, there is so much to be gone through, particularly in the, the booking visits, which is where we would like to be given this information, that we don't want to overload pregnant women, but we also don't want to overload healthcare professionals who already have such a lot to say. So while we need to equip them with some degree of knowledge and experience with this to be able to give the messages, what we're looking at is producing um, a dig this digitally and so that all this information doesn't need to be given face-to-face -face by a healthcare professional, but rather women can access this information um, in a digital manner so that they don't have to rely solely on a face-to-face -face conversation with a healthcare professional. 
over the um, uh, the time of this project, you've worked with um, uh, with with uh, my colleague Urena and also with one of our um, policy associates. Perhaps you could just tell us a little bit about what it was that, that Tim was working with you on. Yeah, it was lovely to work with Tim. Um, he is doing his own PhD and he was doing this alongside and felt this was a sort of useful training part of his PhD as well in terms of public engagement. And what Tim was really, really helpful was doing was just taking a big look at all the different stakeholders out there and mapping out those stakeholders to work out who are those stakeholders we should be engaging with now, um, who are those stakeholders who we should be engaging with and just keeping informed, who are those with the, um, the most power to affect change and who are those with the most interest. And that was a really helpful exercise to do this in a systematic way. Um, to make sure we're including all the right people as part of our roundtable and our stakeholder discussions. So, um, as as we talk today, the the project is coming towards um, uh, uh, its close. Um, what what do you hope for the future over the next two to five years uh, in terms of the findings and the and the changes for this work? So, our plan going forwards is to work on releasing this information nationally through all these different um, digital channels, which we've been able to identify, and hopefully work with rural colleges to um, to support these messages going out as well. And then to apply for quite a large grant looking at um, how we can best implement this study. We want to work with trust to work out how best to implement this in their key setting. So for an example, um, in some trust women can self-book for antenatal care and can they be provided with a link to look at some information about staying healthy in pregnancy and CMV would be part of that. Or do we need to produce um, a leaflet that that can be given at um, booking for antenatal care that's given with a link or can we use um, pregnancy notes, which are now electronic, to push information out through those electronic means like that? So there may be slightly different models and different settings, but we want to work out what works best um, for each different trust. Yeah, it's really interesting with the uh, electronic red book and the and the changes that 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 brings because rather than it just being that document which holds records that conversations have happened um, or uh, waits have been recorded or, or, or whatever, um, that actually it becomes a, an opportunity for for a dialogue uh, where um, uh, families can access information or put questions through to be able to to understand more. It feels like that's a really powerful new tool. That's right. So the red book is for um, children once they're born but the maternity record used to be a handheld record a bit like the red book was um, and now using those electronic means we're able to both personalize those messages a little bit more but also for trust to choose what information they want to send to pregnant women at the appropriate stage of pregnancy and in this case what we want to do is to send that information to women very very early in pregnancy because the biggest risk is during the early part of pregnancy where the baby's organs are still developing and we don't want them to catch CMV at those very early stages of development. So that's great clarity about what the uh, the next few years look like in terms of the uh, the research aspects from from this work. What are the what are the other uh, changes or things that you'd like to see change over the over the course? So both from my point of view as a researcher and a clinician and the other clinicians I've talked to that it's really helpful to have um, information included in guidelines and policies as well. So in terms of NICE guidelines, for instance, which cover antenatal care to see inclusion of staying healthy in pregnancy and preventing infections in pregnancy and nested within that staying healthy, I'd like to see CMV being included in that so that there is a legitimization of including this information as part of routine antenatal care. And I think that helps the, the busy midwives to advocate for why they should be including this 
um, and and helps these other digital providers to say this is a something that has been advocated for at a policy level. Therefore, we must be getting these this information out to pregnant women. And I think that would help um, both midwives on the ground, the researchers, and the um, providers of antenatal education as well. And some fascinating insight into an illness that uh, I wasn't aware of before we sat down to to have the conversation, um, and some some really impressive uh, research which has happened, and, and with such a clarity of message uh, to mothers uh, uh, to be able to, to take forward. Mm. I think that's really important, isn't it? That we just don't know enough about this as society. So we want to get that message out there to pregnant women, but it's not just the women themselves we need to be speaking to. It's the fathers, it's the uncles, it's the aunts, it's the grandmas and grandpas that need to be aware of this. So this is part of a normal part of pregnancy care in the same way that um, we know that women should avoid, for instance, soft cheese in pregnancy. We'd like to see this part of the normal narrative around how we talk about keeping healthy in pregnancy. Well, I look forward to the day when uh, CMV is up there with soft cheeses and uh, and seafood as uh, the list of things to avoid for a period of time during pregnancy. Thanks very much for your time today, Chris. Yeah, thank you very much, Charles. Thanks very much for listening to today's Policy Pod. If you'd like to leave feedback for us or leave a comment, please feel free to do so on your chosen platform. And if you'd like to find out more information about our work, you can visit www www.southampton.ac.uk forward slash public policy. Mm-hmm.